with your pitch, how you just honed it over time, the act of just giving your pitch again and again, and like seeing what resonated with people, like Mm. you will be able to find out what's unique about you as you pitch yourself. Yeah. The only way to tell if a story is resonating is to tell it. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm excited to be here today with John Anderson. John is the founder of Two Story Melody, a music blog, and Two Story Media, which is a music PR firm. He's also the author of a book called How to Promote Indie Music about building fan communities, and it was a top new release on Amazon. And now he helps artists to be able to market their music and he's personally placed hundreds of pieces of press coverage for artists. And so I thought it'd be great to bring him on the podcast and have a conversation about, you know, as an indie musician, what are your opportunities in terms of promoting your music, getting it out there? And especially if you're looking for PR or press coverage, what are some best practices for actually actually thinking about the process of reaching out and who to reach out to, what's the right way to reach out, which I think is a really helpful kind of fundamental process to get good at. John, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Michael. Yeah, for sure. So to start out with, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, kind of how you founded Two Story Media and how you made it to where you are now. Yeah, totally. Let's see. I'll try to figure out how far back to go. I've been a songwriter my whole life, but I have never felt like I was ready to go full-time into music myself, but I always felt like I wanted to have like skin in the game of music industry. I went to college for marketing and then I came out and worked at a marketing agency for about five or six years out of college. And I found during that time that I really needed to be doing something related to music to feel like filled and to feel energized. I couldn't just be writing about, we were doing B2B tech marketing, which is like IT firms, things like that. So I wanted to have skin in the game of the marketing industry in addition to writing about IT support. But so I started Two Story Melody, which is the music blog as a passion project, just as kind of something to do to think about songwriting, think about music in my spare time and my time outside of work. And so I had a few friends who were practicing musicians and I interviewed them about their songwriting processes. And over the period of a few years, the blog just started to gain some traction. We had some people who asked to write for it. Uh, We interviewed some just more and more musicians. And over time, it really just grew into a thing where I felt like we were publishing a good amount of content and reviews and interviews, and we just had some name recognition in the space. And it was around like maybe a few years into Two Story Melody, I started getting requests from artists that we would cover. I love the piece that you guys read about me. Like, how can I get more of these blog articles or how can I get more coverage like this? And so I started to do just some like just free back and forth email consulting with people like, hey, here's what I would do. Here's what works for us. And out of that, Two Story Media was was born, which is the PR side of things. So I started taking on some clients and networking with other blog editors and things and helping artists get press coverage at other outlets. And yeah, so that's the backstory for both of those firms. Cool. Awesome, man. Yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing. And from your perspective, so what do you think are the biggest like benefits that come from, because obviously there's different... Like when you're looking to build a holistic 
music career, then there's a few different roles that you're looking to fill. And yeah. uh, PR and publicity is like one of those roles. So I'd love to hear you talk about what are the main, like who's going to be the right fit? Who's the right type of artist who really should be looking at leveraging this as a resource? And what are like the main benefits that they can get from like a good blog article that's written about them? Yeah. So there are a few different ways to think about this. And in the PR world, I probably have an unpopular opinion on this. So I actually, there, there are PR firms out there who view PR as like an awareness generation machine where you're generating, like you're getting in front of new eyes, you're getting in front of the audiences of blogs and things. I actually don't think that PR is best for that. Um, I think it's best for artists who have some story or audience already in some stage built and it's best for engaging that audience and just further developing a story that already exists. So what I talk about with this a lot is running to story melody. The way that we get traffic to our blog is we almost totally rely on the traffic that our artists already have. So if we write a piece about an artist, most of the traffic that goes to that piece is from the artist fan base when they share it on social or when they're searching for it. We only get about 12 to 14% of our visitors returning to the site every month. And so that means we write a piece, the fans of the artist come and read the piece and they're like, oh, this is awesome. So cool to read about how you made the song and what went into it and stuff. And then the fans of that artist go away and they probably never read Two Story Melody again, but they go away like with the story of the artist. And so it builds the fandom of the artist, but it doesn't necessarily get them in front of new eyes and ears. Yeah. So I think that is the biggest use case to me is like, it's credibility building. You can use blog articles and press coverage as clips and pitches you do to whether you're like booking a tour or reaching out for more press coverage or whatever it is. And it's also engagement with your fan base. So it gives you a chance to tell your story in another outlet, another medium to your fan. That totally makes sense. Yeah. And I appreciate your transparency around just what to what to ex- expect and who is it, who is it for and how can they leverage that in the best ways. And it sounds like what you're saying is that it probably depends on the situation, but in a lot of cases, it sounds like what you're saying is that it's not necessarily like the main purpose is to like that you're going to get millions of fans from getting articles, but it's going to really allow you to get credibility and positioning and tell your story. Also just like hone your story in a way mm-hmm. that allows you to dig deeper into who you are and what you stand for. So I think there's, it's hugely valuable for, yeah, for the right purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I think I like it. I'm a fan of the Steelers. And one way that I'm a fan of the Steelers is I read like all the news about the Steelers. Like I read like all the written articles about is I Mitch Trubisky in the off season. What is that? And so I'll read that stuff, not because like I'm being exposed to the Steelers for the first time, but like to deepen my fandom. And so that's how I view PR for artists. It's you're, there are some out, if you're in Rolling Stone, like sure, maybe you'll get in front of some new eyes. Most artists are not going to get in Rolling Stone for the foreseeable future, like most of the indie artists that I work with, that's down the road for them. But it does give you a chance to just create like more of a world and more of a context around your artistry, more of a story, more credibility. And ultimately, like that leads to bigger, bigger fans. I think. Absolutely. That, that makes a ton of sense. Even just as like, an ex- experiential, it's like a lesson in learning how to hone your story and kind of figure out what is it about you that's remarkable that mm-hmm. you can talk about and lean into. It seems like that's the kind of thing that is really like crucial just from a foundational point of view. And it's something that usually we kind of go deeper and deeper into, but it seems like that's like a great benefit that can kind of come from figuring out how to craft your story and, and see how someone who's a talented writer can look at the block of ice that is you and can chisel it into yeah, a story yeah. and into something unique. I think it's probably a really valuable sort of self-discovery tool. 
Totally. I think it's super fun. Artists always really enjoy like, reading the articles about them too. It, Cause yeah, you get to see, oh, here's what, here's like a third party objective perspective of what makes me interesting. I think it's really helpful. Yeah. hundred percent. It's interesting. Yeah. Just that, that idea of like the main question, I think we're all trying to answer whether we're aware of it or not is who am I? <laughs> And it's something <laughs> yes. that, that changes over time. And as soon as you think that you know who you are, like, no, like that's not who you are. It goes deeper. But if you can give someone something that allows them to, to express themselves or answer that question or kind of give themselves that, to answer that question for them, whether a lot of times with artists, that's what you're doing for your fans too. Like your music is really about them and how like they're using it to self-express who they are mm. and what the, your music says yeah. about them. So it's just got kind of, kind of interesting. Yeah, um, totally. Cool. Hey man, I know you have a lot of experience now getting like submissions from tons of different artists and writing these articles and seeing what's what works well, what doesn't work well. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what's the what makes a good what makes a good submission for someone if they're like reaching out to you and they want to be featured on the blog? What makes someone like really stand out, makes it really good versus someone that reaches out and it's awful and like there's someone that it wouldn't make a good reach out? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot that goes into it. Maybe the first thing is just like doing the research on the blog. So we get a ton of submissions from artists that are like, hey, like here's my heavy metal song and we we don't really feature heavy metal or some genre or some kind of approach that we're mostly like indie singer-songwriter. So if you send me something that's like way outside of that genre without acknowledging, here's why I think this fits with you guys, that's like a first step is just making sure that you kind of align with the outlet that you're reaching out to. In terms of what makes an editor likely to respond to a pitch, which also I, it sucks being an artist and pitching people because you're going to hear back less often than you would like to hear back. So that's, I just want to acknowledge the reality of that. But when you do hear back, it's usually for one of three reasons. Either you have the three things that make an editor likely to respond to a pitch. One, number one above anything else, I think, is relationship. And so that's something that obviously you can't have if you're just cold emailing and just doing this the first time. But the emails that I always respond to are from people that I know, whether it's an artist that we've covered before or that I have an ongoing relationship with or with a PR agent that covered multiple artists and just I know them and I know about what they're doing. So if I have a relationship with the person, I'll always respond to the person. The second thing I would say is credibility and like social proof. If like Bruce Springsteen emailed me, like I have no relationship with him prior to this, maybe one day we'll be BFFs, but <laughs> if he emailed me, I'd be like, yeah, of course I'm interested in talking to you. I know all about what you, like you're established, you're credible. Like I, I understand what you are and I'd love to find out how you write your songs. I think that's probably just the reality for most blogs, especially because like I just mentioned, most blogs are reliant on artists to drive their audience. And so if you have an artist that's coming to you, Hey, I just racked up 5 million streams on Spotify and I got a placement in like pitchfork or like whatever, whatever it is, I'm at least interested. Oh, other people are talking about this artist, like what's going on. Like I'll probably like them considering everyone else likes them. So I'd say relationship. I always respond if they're, if I find them credible, I'm likely to respond. And then the third point, which I think is maybe the most appealing is the story, the narrative aspect. So if you have a compelling story, something, maybe something personal led to the music, or you had an interesting background or whatever it is, if you can capture the narrative angle, that's the third piece that makes an editor likely to respond. And I would say if you have 
all three of those pieces, if you have the relationship credibility and a good story, like you are almost guaranteed to get coverage. If you have two out of three, you have a good chance. And if you have one out of three, it's usually story. If you're like starting from scratch and that gives you a shot, but you'll just have to do work to build up the other two. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast. Or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're going to get access to our entire Music Mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're gonna have our Music Mentor Spotlight series. And that's where we're gonna bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now and one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of music mentor and, and maybe the most valuable is that you're gonna have this, this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you wanna take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, from there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast, supporting the show. Um, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. That's super helpful. Yeah, having those three different categories of things to, to look for. There's two things that would be great to dig into from there. So one is the credibility kind of side of things. Maybe I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you can hone that in a way that maybe someone doesn't have a lot of credibility starting out. Do you recommend that they still do some inner work to try to figure out what I have about myself and my career, even though I'm just starting out, inserting some credibility? Or do you recommend that they just say, hey, you know what? I'm just starting out. I don't have any credibility yet, but I've got a great story. Like, yeah, what are your thoughts around generating that credibility? Because also... Yeah, the, this kind of brings to mind and yeah, it's not, this isn't necessarily something that I would recommend as, as good practice. Cause like, this is like really on the edge of whether this is a good practice or not. But yeah. I remember when we used to walk up to fans waiting in lines for shows and we did that for all time low. And I just, and I remember that when you do that, like you're essentially, you're making a pitch like every single time you meet someone new. And so by its very nature, like you start getting good at pitching and you start figuring out, okay, what like works or what does it? And like when Did I say this, like people- pitching by the end of it? You felt good by the end of it? Dude, I could still give you the pitch now, like 10 years later and it would be like pretty like close to what it was. Like it was certain, it was almost like a, it's like a door-to-door sales is probably similar yeah, yeah. to that. And, and also like a comedic act or if you're playing, playing a show, like you can get into a rhythm. But, yeah. but I remember distinctly that one of the, the things that really boosted the conversation is yeah. if 
when we were walking up to fans. And again, this I wouldn't I don't necessarily feel like proud of the of how we expressed this because I think it was a little bit a little bit deceitful. But I remember walking up and when we were introducing ourselves, you're like, oh, my name is Michael. I play in a band called the Paradise Fears. And basically, we're traveling with the tour, meeting fans are waiting in line for shows, or we're like, we're traveling with all-time low, meeting fans are waiting in lines for shows and sharing like some of our music, if you guys want to hear one of the songs. And technically, it was true, we were traveling with the tour, but we were like slumming it in our, our Honda yeah, Civic yeah, yeah. like cars, sleeping in Walmart parking lots. We didn't have a personal connection with all-time low. But when we said that, like people, like, their ears oh, perked okay. up yeah. and they started, it was like, they, like there's a shift. There's like a mental trigger. There was something where there, there was at least a chance. Where, oh, wait, like, do these guys know all time low? Like, yeah. and that instant credibility, yeah. that credibility <laughs> shift made a big difference. And then people were like a lot more excited to talk to us. And a few months later, it turns out that we were able to like actually open for all time low and we were able to, yeah. to then have some real connection with them. But that is one thing that kind of just sticks out of my mind as like, it was certainly played on this credibility factor and it certainly yeah. made an impression and it helped us with that initial introduction. So I, mean, I don't know, I have mixed feelings about it because I like, it's one thing like, you know, I didn't say like we were friends or we knew them, <laughs> but there's a little bit of like implied kind of thing there. We're so I'm just kind of curious them, yeah. on, yeah. I'm curious on, on your thoughts in terms of like credibility. Like it's also true that there's a lot of things that are subjective and if you kind of like, and that's a, a huge part of the spin of the story. Yeah. So I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts on when someone's looking at, looking at really leveraging what they currently have, which if they're early on might not be a whole lot. How do they turn, turn what they have into something that, has credibility and make a good first impression. Yeah, there's a few, I think there's a few things with that. First, I, I think there are some, if you're just starting out, maybe you don't have any pieces of credibility and that is okay. Like you're just going to have to rely on shaping a good story and it's going to take more legwork to get going. But like the hope is that two years in, then you would have some pieces of credibility and things with the pitches and things would come easier. I think the other thing that I'm thinking about is when you were calling on that piece of credibility for those fans, like it was such a contextually relevant thing to them standing in line because they're at the all time, they're standing in line for all time low. And so when you're pitching, like the way you would grab a piece of credit, like a credibility piece when you're pitching is like, what outlet am I pitching and what will be contextually relevant to that outlet that I could maybe draw on? And there it'll be different for each artist. Like a lot of artists who are just starting out, like maybe you have, like you called on all time low as a connection, like maybe you have connections, like, I, this was recorded in a certain studio or I've, I know this artist or, or someone features on the track or something like, yeah, that's maybe, a great one. I worked with the same producer who worked with right, all time yeah. low or yeah. That's one that I'll see. Yeah. That's one that I'll see often is like song was produced by this person who also produced like Phoebe Bridgers or whatever. So those connections can be a way of transferring credibility onto yourself, even if you don't have mm -hmm. the 5 million streams on Spotify. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Just look for contextually relevant things and then also acknowledge like, if you're just starting out, maybe you don't have anything. And that's a yeah, that's a great answer. And yeah, a, a great reminder, too, of how valuable it can be to build some credibility by understanding like other artists that have built credibility and like doing things like, yeah, work with the producer that worked with them, record one of your songs with them. And then you yeah, can actually totally. say, yeah, and it's probably the song is probably going to be amazing. It's going to put you a step <laughs> closer to them. So yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then the third thing that you had mentioned was around like what, and this by it in and of itself has the potential to be able to land an opportunity, even if you don't have the other two, which is having the narrative or having a really compelling story. 
So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that idea of what goes into a compelling story. What are some of the traits that someone could look at? And similar to the way that we're looking at this credibility, I think that one of the biggest challenges for a lot of artists is that they feel like they don't really have that much about them that's unique or like a compelling story. And they're trying to figure out like, how do I communicate who I am and my mission and my story in a way that is like unique and is compelling. So maybe we could, we could shine a light on some like pointers for how someone could initiate that process. Yeah, I think so. The easiest way to highlight in my mind, what a good story is to hold it up against pitches that are like, not a good story, <laughs> which unfortunately I get a, we get a fair amount of, but it's pretty common for an artist to say, to say, Hey, I just made this single. I spent the last year working on it. I poured a ton of emotion and heart and soul into this. And I think it's really well produced and mastered. And would you be interested in sharing? There's that's very bland. There's like not a story Everyone. there. I think store good stories usually have a couple of things like one, they're unique to you and they're like, the cool thing about a story is that even though it's unique to a, to you or to a certain context, like it resonates with people. Mm-hmm. So literally just including details, there's an artist that pitched me who used to be a stand-up comedian in New York and realized that the music bits of his show were like, can it, obviously that's a pretty cool story, but it's like, he didn't just say, Hey, like, here's a song. Like he gave me the backstory and he gave me like the bits that were unique to him. And almost every artist, if you ask yourself, why am I making this? Where have I come from? Why am I making this art and where am I going? If you answer those three questions, usually you'll have at least an outline of a story because a story usually involves like a starting point, a transformation and like an outcome. Mm. And so, yeah, if you unpack your background, if you unpack like the why of the art itself, and then if you can answer the question, where am I going as an artist? You'll have at least the framework of a story. That's powerful. Yeah, just those three questions. Where did I come from? Why did I make this? Where am I going? And we could probably even dig into some of those core elements. And I think the idea of storytelling in general is fascinating and like the hero's yeah. journey and like kind of these Are you a Dan, uh, arc- uh, archetypes. Donald Miller. Donald Miller fan. Story brand. Yeah, I read yeah. that book like a year or two ago. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. This is one that like it was like, okay, I need to put this down because like when I go through this, I need to take <laughs> action on it. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that's great. So maybe we could dig deeper into those three different elements. Or maybe we could take a Donald Miller or uh, who's the hero's journey guy? Joseph Campbell. Yeah, and, and just talk about kind of like the archetypes of oh one other note that I want to share because you brought up a really good point of like you get a lot of the same thing over and over again and it's because that is a very common theme it's yeah like of course like you're a musician like you poured your heart and your soul into it but so has everyone else who's like serious about their music so what is it yeah. actually that sets you apart or what like actually makes it remarkable what makes it unique and you've probably heard about or read the book what purple cow by Seth Godin mm-hmm. and the whole point of that book is that if you're driving down the street and you look and see a field and there's a bunch of cows then you don't really pay attention to it you don't notice anything but if you see that like there's a purple cow in the middle of them <laughs> it's whoa it bring it, it captures your attention and grabs your eye because it's purple and you're like that's you're not used to seeing that and then what's interesting is if a lot of that is based on context too because if if the purple cow was if all cows were purple or it was like in a setting where there's a bunch of different purple cows around it then you, it wouldn't be like, you wouldn't think it was, it wouldn't grab your attention because yeah. it's like, oh, they're all purple. So there is something about just zigging when other people are zagging or like looking at, okay, like what's the common characteristic of this whole, the whole setting right now? 
And how can I like create a, a purple kind of variant of that in, in a way that's aligned with who I am? What is it about me that actually is like the purple part of me? So maybe we could talk a little bit about, about that actually is like, what is it that you think goes into that idea of having something unique or something that kind of stands out or something that's remarkable? And how can someone, as they're telling their own story, how do they avoid just being another like normal because like again most musicians are going to have the same where did you come from well i started playing music like 10 years ago and yeah this might be a similar story so how did they identify those elements that actually are like the part that's unique which they might not have the perspective to notice they might be like that's just me i think i think that's a good point you made at the end there one thing i think that's can be where it's really helpful to work with a pr firm or an out like somebody outside of yourself because it is really hard like you are normal to yourself so it's hard to tell what is unique about you from like your own perspective. So I would say working with a PR agency can be really helpful. And oh, PR agency has worked with probably hundreds of artists. And so they're good at saying, oh, this is what's different about you out of all the artists I've worked with. Yeah, that can be helpful. I also think, as I said, I think this is a big part of PR, doing PR well, but just the context, like you said, if you're in a field of purple cows, probably you're on acid, <laughs> but like the cows don't stand out if every cow is purple. So when you're telling your story in different contexts, like different elements of your story will be more unique in different contexts. And then maybe the third thing I'd say is that kind of like you said with your pitch, how you just honed it over time, the act of just giving your pitch again and again, and like seeing what resonated with people, like mm. you will be able to find out what's unique about you as you pitch yourself. Yeah. The only way to tell if a story is resonating is to tell it. Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. Like really honing that edge through having a lot of conversations and making that pitch, telling your story and seeing which parts actually like resonate with people for sure. Interesting too, in terms of the what you talked about with the Kant idea, being a musician, like sometimes being a musician is like being a purple cow. If you're in the mm -hmm. right context, if you're around a bunch of people who aren't musicians, then the fact yeah. that you're a musician can be something unique. And I think it's actually an opportunity for a lot of musicians that maybe is untapped. For example, yeah, I know one of my music mentor partners, a guy named Tiamo, and he does these keynote conferences where he's basically like a motivational personal development speaker, but he performs music and adds that as an element. Mm -hmm. And in that setting, his music is kind of like a purple cow because yeah. it's something unique. They're not, it's something that he's kind of adding to what you normally expect from like a personal development conference. But if you're at a musician conference um, and you're like, like I'm a musician, like then it's not really that unique <laughs> because everyone around you is a musician too. Yeah, yeah. And I see that a lot of times too, where musicians are like trying to promote their music to like other musicians, mm -hmm. which I'm so okay to build partnerships and collaborations, but it's like, those aren't necessarily the people who are going to be like, fans or like super fans of your music but yeah having that finding that context is super interesting same thing with all time low with that when you're when you're meeting those fans who are waiting those lines for shows mm -hmm. the fact that we were a musician kind of made us a purple cow in the best way because the people who are there it's they went there to see musician. purple cows yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they like purple cows <laughs> they, <laughs> they want to pet the purple cows yeah. yeah definitely some really good stuff there so yeah let's talk a little bit about maybe if someone and I think you're totally right too, like getting perspective, external perspective, especially from someone that has experience that has essentially done this with a lot of other artists who can point out, this is the thing that's actually unique about you is super valuable. Maybe we can actually, I know that your book that you know, was a top new release on Amazon is called How to Promote 
any music. And so obviously getting a placement or getting an article written about you is one factor of building credibility and has all the benefits that we've talked about. But I would love to talk a little bit about the landscape of promoting promoting music as well and building an audience, building a fan base. What do you say are some of the biggest maybe opportunities or biggest challenges or mistakes that you see musicians make when it comes to actually promoting their music? Yeah. So for the book, I really started, my goal with the book was to give musicians like a roadmap to understand what does it mean to have a fan base? What even is fandom? And then understanding like what fandom is, then what are like some of the practical steps to building that? And so the definition of fandom that I give in the book is like people who enter into community with an artist. So it's like it, fandom is ultimately like relational. And the reason, in my thinking, the reason that people become fans is because they basically like assent to be part of the community of the artist. Like they assent to be in relationship with the artist and then with other people who are fans of the artist. So like we were talking before the podcast started about like my friend who was a Paradise Fears fan, very big Paradise Fears fan. Like he he definitely viewed you guys as like a band he was in relationship with. And then also like he viewed, it was like, it's cool to be a fan of Paradise Fears. Like me and other cool people are fans of Paradise Fears. But so thinking about that community, if community is what makes fandom, then what makes a community? And the four pieces, there's a study that I use as like the jumping off point for this, like a sociological study. And they surveyed like a bunch of different community, like community groups and came out with these four components that are part of any community. And it's shared context, shared perspectives, shared actions, and then social ties or relationships. And so in the first part of the book, I walk through, so fandom is community with an artist. What is community? It's a organ, like it's a group of people who are coming together around a shared context, identifying with a shared set of perspectives taking shared actions together, like whether that's buying merch or attending a show and then developing social ties, relationships with the band and relationships with each other. And so that's what a community of fan base is. And then knowing that, what are the steps to build it? And that's where things, so you have that starting point. I think of it as that's the center of the circle. And then there are a million ways you can go to build the circle. Usually it's generating awareness is first. And then it's like converting people, like entering into relationship. And then you have the super fans who are like taking the shared actions regularly together. Yeah, I can, there's a lot of different ways you can do that, a lot of different platforms, but that's the basics of the roadmap or the framework. Awesome. Oh man, I love this stuff. Yeah, that's so on point in terms of building a culture, building community and having that, I almost consider it like almost like an inner circle with like different levels of mm-hmm. closeness or like access to you and building a community when it comes to building community, one thing that you pointed to was this quote unquote like conversion. And I think that's a very fascinating like subject when it comes to building community, when it comes to building a fan base and just in general, in terms of promotion and marketing, like conversion is a very key concept. And it's something that is a key concept in society and like how we function. Like we have these conversion events that usually are celebrated. It's like a ritual. We like come together and we celebrate an event together to initiate someone from point A to point B, like Mm -hmm. a marriage, for example. It's like, it's an initiation where you bring all your closest circle together to transform from point A to point B. So there's a very clear conversion process. 
right? And I think the same thing, if you're really thinking about it intentionally, bring someone in your community in order for someone to come from and not be a listener, not care about you to become a super fan. Like there's a conversion process, there's steps. There's usually these like moments of initiation, like those moments of initiation where if you can be intentional about creating those moments of initiation where you hold someone's hand Mm -hmm. as they cross that threshold and become a better version of themselves or become a different a, a part of themselves that's like part of the community is really interesting. So yeah. maybe we could talk a little bit about that idea as it relates to like building these communities. You know, what do you think are some of those potential quote unquote community events? Maybe you call them like initiation events or what do you kind of take someone from not knowing who a band is, not being a fan to joining the community and becoming a part of that fandom? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, a great line of thinking. And I think those are the things like you're calling them like initiation events, like in the definition in the those four elements of community that I was talking about. I think of those as like the shared actions, like you're acting together. Usually you're either acting, but you're acting like in the context of other people like observing the action and often other mm-hmm. people acting with you. And the communities that are the strongest are the communities where like people have acted to commit to the community. There are a few things. I also think it's important to think about the scope of the action and really like the level of sacrifice that an initiation or an action entails. So generally, like the more that you sacrifice or give up when you act, like the stronger the tie is to the community. So you can think there's plenty of examples, like you said, marriage, like I'm shelling out 5,000 bucks for a ring to give like the act of giving a ring to my wife is a pretty commit, like it's a committal committing, whatever the word is act, but generally the more sacrifice, the stronger the tie is. And I think you can think of how that translates to artist communities and just be looking for ways to provide entry-level actions, but also to provide like those deeper, more opportunities where people can sacrifice more to signify their commitment to you. The possibilities are really broad and it'll also be determined what your perspective as an artist is. So one thing you'll see all the time is artists being like, hey, I believe in this charity. And so the proceeds from this album that I'm making will go to this mental health awareness charity. If you'd like to like help and support, please donate to the charity. And so it's aligning with like their perspective as an artist And it's giving their fans like an opportunity to commit a shared action together where they're Mm. giving or sacrificing something. There's someone going to a show is a sacrifice, is an act. Like joining like a VIP club is probably like a deeper sacrifice or act. There's the band Lord Huron. That's ringing a bell, but I'm not sure. They're like this weird, like, like cowboy indie. They had this thing around an album release where they, they did a, what's it called? Like a, a geographic, like treasure hunt so like for every song they put out they would like have a virtual reality or like a an ar thing like in a different location where like you had to go to that location to stream the song like before the release it would be like on some mountaintop in appalachia or like just these random things (laughs) and so that's basically like super intent if you're a a super diehard lord huron fan and you're literally like booking a flight to go to this mountain to stream the song like a week before it's out. But that's like a great example of they're asking you to sacrifice a lot to align yourself with like their perspective as an artist. But yeah, the possibilities are, there's so many, like you can ask people to do anything. I think the important thing is, does it align with you as an artist? Super interesting. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's one thing I think is pretty fascinating is like studying cultures and even like cults, like in cults and how they work. <laughs> Obvi- like I'm not condoning cults at all. Like cults are uh, terrible things. Like they function in a very similar way. There's a reason we have the word culture and like community. And so it's pretty fascinating mm-hmm. just to see this, like how 
what is the psychological function that someone goes through and and you can intentionally use some of the because it's about building a community so if you use it in the right way about building a community that actually like fuels someone and helps them then it's a different yeah. thing so one thing i want to speak to is like that word sacrifice is an interesting interesting word to describe that that action that they're taking and i think it's true like you can think of it as like a sacrifice of like they're giving up a version of themselves or giving up something that they identify with in order to probably in order to gain higher identity. Someone only is going to sacrifice something like that if they think that they're getting something else in return. So what are they getting in return? They're getting a step closer to the shared identity of the community exactly. or the culture that, that you're creating. So they are getting something It's in, in return for it. And one thing that, that came up as you're describing that too is around this idea of as someone makes that sacrifice of the old self to become the higher new self or the shared like a shared identity shared like increased status within the community it seems like one thing that almost is like a because a lot of what we're talking about is like identity shifts so it's like going from mm. a, a different identity to a new identity and a really powerful thing to think about as an artist as you're thinking about your own community and bringing people into your family and giving them a big hug is when is being really intentional when someone like makes that shift when someone like sacrifices their old identity to join mm. your family to become a part of your community structuring some kind of celebration or some sort of process where you know in, for example like with weddings right like when you make that shift it's like a huge celebration and that's there's something about the idea of celebration that i think is really about celebrating a new identity and if you can create intentional celebrations around you know, when someone first comes into the community where if you celebrate them and you say, Hey everyone, let's welcome this person in the community. Look like they're awesome. Here's who they are. And you kind of like put, you, know, you applaud, you clap. And that yeah. person, they just took this step where it's a little bit of a scary step to take. Sometimes like they, they sacrificed a piece of themselves, their old identity to come in. And so if you can reinforce that with some sort of gift or some sort of celebration or something to bring them in the community, I think there's, it's pretty, it's yeah. hard to be really intentional about that. That's such a good point. That's not, yeah, that in almost any community where you're asked to make a major commitment, like a, a cult. Or, yeah. But on the other side, on the other side of the action is the celebration where like the choice, the action is affirmed and celebrated. Yeah. I think that's a great point. There are tons of ways to do that as an artist. The ease, the ease, like the classic example is like you sign up for the email list. So that's like a, a minor sacrifice where like they're giving up the, their email address and then you get the celebration is like, the welcome email and like the sequence of, Hey, I'm so glad like you're on the email list. Like here's maybe like a unreleased song or something. That's like kind of a light version of that. Um, and then I think like maybe as the level of sacrifice is higher, like the level of celebration should be higher too. So if they're joining like a VIP club or a Patreon, they're joining like your highest tier, like you're providing them with like as much value and excitement as like you can. Yeah. So I think you're totally right. Celebration is a huge part of confirming the new identity. I think that's an awesome idea. Totally. Yeah. And I think another word that's really good, I like sacrifice as a word because I think it acknowledges the fact that they're giving something up in order to take that next step, which is something I think we don't, sometimes we don't appreciate or acknowledge. And if you're able to acknowledge that when they're taking the step, like it might be scary for them or something where like they are giving up something in order to like to join what you're doing. And, and if you can focus on making sure that they feel good, that it was the right step that and welcome them. I think it's really smart. But I think another word that is goes in line with this idea of investment, like really like when they like they're really they're like they're investing in you. And what does it mean when someone invests 
something what while they're investing their get? time. Exactly. What are they getting in, in return? And, and to invest something like you put some, you're putting yourself, like you're putting something like into it and our money is an extension of ourselves in, in terms of it being a tool. And yeah, I think that that's a, another way of thinking about it as well as like the, an investment. Like when someone joins your community, they're making an investment in you and they're believing in you and they're investing themselves into you. Yeah, totally. I think this is maybe like a an oversimplification of things, but I think like the return on the investment is relationship. Like I think mm-hmm. that we, we talked about like the, the starting point of fandom is like relationship with the artist. And so like when you're investing that, what you ultimately want is to be like in a meaningful relationship with the artist, whatever that looks like you want to, you want to be in a relationship with them. And I think yeah. to me, that's like the core of artistry is like, you're giving these people a relationship and all the things around it. It's super, super interesting. Yeah. Cool. That's <laughs> just, I don't know why, like my mind, there's a joke that's, that's so made our There's so it, w- one thing that's interesting, the way that we're describing this community and like having these consent, like these circles that kind of that expand outward is mm-hmm. that, and when you talked about Patreon, it's almost like you have these different levels of your circle and like different rings that go around the center and like you're at the very center. And so when someone takes a step closer to you, it's they're, you, they're getting closer to you, they're getting access to you. And what basically what we realize is that what every artist should offer is like at the deepest level is like nude pics. Or like <laughs> so this is like very like close. Yeah, no, yeah. Just, I was debating whether I was even going to bring that up, but it flashed across <laughs> my mind. I'm like, I probably got to There is, I really was not expecting to go in this direction it, with this. But, yeah, that was the secret there, to Paradise Spheres right there. That was the... <laughs> you had to be in like the diamond tier to get the nude pics. It's <laughs> like, uh, there's, isn't there like a, Again, I, I really did not ex- expect to take this conversation. We might even, I, who knows if we'll even leave this part in, but but OnlyFans, isn't that like a sort of like a tier base? It's almost like a, a subscription or something like a yeah. Patreon, but for porn stars or something. It could, it's probably pretty interesting kind of looking at just how this model works in general, really about access. And just to be clear, I'm not <laughs> suggesting or recommending that any of you yeah, should. You're recommending that people try start a cult and that people like right. offer new pics on Patreon. <laughs> Make them sacrifice their a goat if they want to <laughs> to join your community. No, like everything, the bottom line is like with any great tool or any great power or influence, whether it's money or whether it's any kind of influence, like there's a good and bad. There's a right and evil. And I think generally, a lot of times it's not necessarily black and white, but I think generally what has served me really well is by focusing on how can I provide value? How can I lead someone towards what they want in a way that's going to make them achieve like their ideal version of themselves? And mm-hmm. th- there is something about if you're able to keep your eye on the prize, like where that's the thing, and you just keep focusing on that. And then all these tools, all these like the things that we're talking about to influence people and to bring them into your communities and stuff. But there's, you could do it either way. You could use this and start a cult and (laughs) and bring people in. So there is two different levels of the conversation, right? Where we're talking about these very powerful, influential strategies to be able to grow your influence. But what does that influence really mean? And checking in with with yourself is is what I'm doing. Am I focusing on helping and providing value for other people? And if so, then that tends to be what works out in the long term. And the other side of it is I really don't think that you can, not for very long at least, you can't influence people to do something evil for that long because eventually I think that it requires deception. Like it requires truth not to be fully disclosed. 
Like I think the only way you can influence someone is by, in order for someone to quote unquote make that sacrifice and kind of take that step, then they need for them, again, there's a reason that they're taking that step. They need to, to on the other side. Exactly. Right. And there's only, it's only a matter of time. If that step isn't good for them, then it's only a matter of time before it comes out into the light and people, and it stops working. Although I will say very interesting. I've read a couple of books about essentially cults that I'm reading a book (laughs) called the big picture right now. It's about science and humanity. And he's one of the points that he makes is that it was around science and like our beliefs and like how strongly we'll hold on to convictions, even when Mm -hmm. we're proven that those beliefs are incorrect. (laughs) Things like the earth is flat or so the example he gave was a cult where they believe that doomsday was like 2000 or something like that. And there's a group of like 20 people and they 100% believed that right. the earth was going to yeah. end on 2000. And so they were campaigning, like, everyone, this is, the earth is going to end. And there's someone that was like a scientist, like, I watched, it was like, this will be interesting. What's going to happen when 2000 comes and they, and the world doesn't end? Like, what, right. how are they going to respond to that? And what they found was that not only did they not, like, after it came and it went, not only did they not believe, not only did they like, stop the stop believing the things that they had been believing, but they actually reinforced it. They like doubled down on it. Whereas like they believed it even more strongly. And like the cult leader basically came up with a, that. The cult leader came up with a story. They said your belief in the fact that it was going to end is what stopped the world from ending. It was because you believed so strongly. And so <laughs> it's just it, it is it does point to our bias as humans that like that we do have we have a self-fulfilling kind of belief if we really believe something then we have to take into account that we have a bias where we actually have a desire to keep consistent with that belief even if mm-hmm. opposing evidence is brought up and sometimes that can even make us lean deeper into incorrect beliefs so it's an interesting curve <laughs> that kind of comes with it I, uh, I think of it like you believe what you belong to for those people like being part of that community was such like a core part of who they were and their identity mm-hmm. that like to give up that mm-hmm. belief is like to give up that core part of my identity and this community of people that like make me who I am. Yeah. I think stuff is crazy, man. It's, it's very crazy. So anyone who's listening or watching this right now, just please put your hand over your heart. <laughs> I promise <laughs> solemnly to use everything that I just learned for good <laughs> and not evil. <laughs> I won't try to convince anyone to join my cult. Okay. Hey, John, this is a really good conversation. I find this stuff super fascinating and hopefully it's really valuable for everyone that's listening right now as a musician to kind of think about how can I create a community that actually serves people and actually helps hold their hands as they take the step to discover my music and to connect more. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. And for anyone that's listening or watching right now that would like to learn more about a two-story media, what's the best place for them to go to dive deeper? Yeah, you can go to twostorymedia.com. And then I also have a site for the book called how to promote indie music.com. I'll just no spaces or hyphens or anything. And yeah, those are great places to get connected. Awesome. Yep. So like always, we'll put the links in, in all the notes in the description and yeah, man, this is great. Do you want to start like a cult or something? Yeah, man. I was thinking like a purple cow cult. There you go. You can Probably Google it. Uh, by the time. <laughs> oh man. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. 
First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That, that really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.